Welcome back to the podcast. In today's episode, we're going to launch series three in my first interview. Interview with people that have inspired me, that are interesting, that sit somewhere neatly within the alcohol-free trilogy, i.e. that alcohol-free story, that self-development story, or that giving back story involving coaching, or all three, as many people do, because I think today's guest is a great example of that. Lewis Raymond Taylor, as I first knew him, got in contact with me and we were talking back in 2019 about doing a podcast. And at that time, I was in between podcasts so it didn't quite happen. And next thing, we get in touch again. And now Lewis' life has taken a dramatic change in many ways. The, the business that he was working on, the Coaching Masters, has really started to take off. And it's also created an incredible documentary called The Psychopath Life Coach which at first blush sounds like something horrific. And if you watch the movie, and I urge you to watch it because it's a brilliant, uh, really insightful uh, watch, it starts off by really going into depth and detail of Lewis's backstory. And what's really interesting about this for me is that you know most memoirs of a rock-bottom memoir, and this really is a rock-bottom memoir, and that classic Phoenix from the Flames in many ways, it's just in the written form. Because Lewis is young, he's actually kept much of this on film. So you actually, you, you visibly are able to see the sort of rock bottom in action, which makes it quite uncomfortable and quite powerful at the same time. And somewhere along that journey, lost himself, ended up in prison and all of these things. And I won't spoil too much from watching the documentary, but he gets this diagnosis, which labels him borderline with... The, the tendencies of a psychopath. This is what the Netflix documentary is picked up on. But if you spend any time with Lewis, as I did throughout the podcast, it definitely didn't manifest in a way that we would stereotypically think of someone being a psychopath. Far from it. In fact, what actually came out of this conversation, which I thought was a really powerful one and one that I thoroughly enjoyed, was actually Lewis has been on that classic journey he hit his own rock bottom. You know, and I'm a big believer, you must fall before you rise. Many of the people doing the best things in the world have got that in their story, where something came along and it walloped them in life and it woke them up to something new, something fresh. And he could have easily gone on that well-worn path to destruction, but he didn't. He turned that ship around and is now in the, out in the world, life coaching, training coaches, sharing this incredibly empowering message for people that have been where he's been, that actually you can turn it around, you can make a success of yourself. And it was a, just a lovely conversation with someone that on the face of it has been labeled and it's quite a skillful marketing thing going on. So I think let's not belittle or deny that at all. I think Lewis is quite enjoying that side of it because it definitely brings attention. And I think at some point that might get dropped, but equally, you know, to stand behind the psychopath life coach takes a lot of courage. To share what he's shared on the screen takes a ton of courage. And now to see him as a father, a husband, creating an incredible business, really having gone on that hero's journey of somewhere that was in the depths of destruction, has battled with his own demons to come out the other side, doing something and contributing in a big way is a really powerful story to share. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you comment, let us know what you thought, and I'll see you all again soon. All right, over to Lewis, let's do this. 
Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we've just chatted off air that we connected first in 2020. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that we've talked about doing a podcast and I think that was probably when we were doing the One You Know Beer podcast. And at that point, I, I think just around then, I, I'd, I'd left One You Know Beer to go on a slightly different adventure. And then we reconnected just recently. And what was lovely about that, I, I was telling you that I thought this is perfect. And it was genuinely perfect timing because I was just about to reset my podcast going series three and really get out there and inter interview some interesting people. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. Lewis has got this story that I know about background in someone that had a real big and bad relationship with alcohol and has spun that around into something beautiful and new and then in between making that arrangement i turn on netflix and there's this <laughs> big show on there the psychopath life coach and my heart sank i was like oh no what's that going to be about and then of course yeah. i turn it on and who do i see it's like <laughs> i'm like there's lewis yeah. there he is yeah oh. I've had a few adventure. messages from a few people that weren't expecting that, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and that's what I'm saying, because I know you, even your Instagram wasn't always the Psychopath Life Coach. It's it's all evolved and changed. That's where we're going to get to, mm -hmm. by the way. But I thought what would be really nice, uh, now we are reconnected, is to sort of start at the beginning, your story. And you know my story mm. is very much one of being alcohol-free and, and trying to transform the world's relationship with alcohol for all these different initiatives. I'm involved in for those people that don't know you and I think most people are beginning to get to know you now which is pretty cool especially after your Netflix uh, fame maybe we could just start with your story and how that unfolded yeah so I grew up in a kind of emotion it's, it's, harsh, it's harsh to say but it's true emotionless family household um practically my family provided for me you know they would send me to school if I wanted to do any sorts of classes they'd do it for me you know they'd provide that for me and give me presents for Christmas everything was there but there wasn't many I love yous or hugs or, you know, and, and, and no real emotional, well, no emotional intelligence. So never learned to express my emotions, never saw any other emotions in my household other than anger. Um, so no crying, uh, and no sympathy or empathy or, or any of those things. So I didn't even really knew, knew they existed. I just knew anger and rage when my dad had had a bit too much to drink and well, was it partly the drink? I don't know if it was the drink, but he was an alcoholic. So my dad was an alcoholic. He would drink a bottle of vodka and, you know, two bottles of wine and four beers every single night. He would start drinking at 7 p.m. and that was his thing. You know, so he said, oh, I'd never drink before 7 p.m. And that sort of meant it was all right, but he was drinking like that for as long as I'd known him for 30 years or whatever. Well, I hadn't known him that long. I knew him for 21 years, but I think he'd been drinking way long before then. And uh, he eventually died of pancreatic cancer, which was a result of the alcohol oh. abuse. But anyway, he, he was an alcoholic and he was abusive. Whether or not he would have been like that sober, I don't know, because he, he was always kind of drunk when we had those arguments. But um, he would call me a buffoon. He'd say you'd never amount to anything. He'd call me stupid. He'd refer to my brother as the intelligent one and say, why can't you be funny like your brother? And he said these things often enough for me to remember them, you know, and it, it really shaped the way that I saw myself and I wanted to be loved by my dad I, I kind of must have thought my mum loved me but didn't really feel it because she wasn't showing it in a way that I could understand it whether or not that was due to my own genetic makeup or whether that was due to the fact that she wasn't displaying it enough I don't know and my dad just out and out looked like he didn't like me at all so I was left quite confused thinking I don't know if I was cognitively thinking I want to be loved but I needed something I wasn't getting so I did the typical, I'm going to find this somewhere else. And it first led me on a um, 
productive path where I went to, I got into acting, singing and dancing. Um, you see in the documentary, I even got into ballet and tap dancing at one point. Yeah. So I'm just very extreme in everything that I do. You know, I'm like, well, if I'm going to be dan- going and dancing, I'll, I'll do ballet. Um, give me those tap dancing shoes yeah. and we'll give it a go. Because I like to be on stage. I like to be attention. I like the significance that I felt. That was kind of the closest thing that I could feel to love, I think, significance. And then I was sexually abused by one of the guys at, at the stage school. And that derailed that. And that was when I was about 11 years old. Uh, and that was when I entered secondary school. And then I was left with another sort of void to fill. Um, so I started to be the naughty kid and the bad kid. And that was partially because I thought it was that kid, because everything in my life seemed to point towards that. Um, so I started to become really naughty, was expelled from school, had an ASBO at 14, used to smash windows, light fires, steal things. Um, and was just very, very, I guess, yeah, naughty is probably the only way you can put it. And yeah, by the time I was 18, I was in a young offenders institution. So that's, a, there's more to it, but I think that's enough. Yeah, to, that to is let you the, get a word in. <laughs> and then even having watched the documentary now, because I didn't know that was in your story, the start of the documentary is so graphic. You know, it's hard, isn't it? Like it's hard mm. to watch in that, in that way. You can see there was that moment, as you said, that, that abuse that, that you suffered, which... I, I felt really sad around that point because it felt like you were about to channel your energy into something really productive, which was acting and singing and mm. dancing. And then you have this pivotal moment that then led you on this different path. So all of that, mm. that energy that you had was clearly directed in a path that wasn't serving you. And, and then you're getting yourself into trouble and all the asbos and all of those type of things, which again, growing up in East London, for example, there was always those kids in and around mm-hmm. the school, right? The same sort of thing that I think their their energy being channeled somewhere else. And mm. the documentary, what I noticed from it, that those early stages were really mapped out because of your ability to be able to go back and find a lot of that, that information, be it photos or even videos, mm-hmm. which yeah, I guess yeah. is quite a new thing. Because again, I just about dodged that world, right? So nothing, <laughs> my, my childhood is not recorded at all, whereas yours was. What was the the thinking around that, that to go back and really share it and be really graphic and yeah. open and honest? Well, it was only when, I mean, we'll have to skip forward a little bit, but I, I, I went to rehab for six months. And one of the exercises in the rehab center was to share your story. And I didn't know what my story was. It was a blank piece of paper at that point. I knew a few things had happened. I had to kind of piece it together, especially in chronological order. And as I would do that, more things would come out and, and I started to piece it together and I'd write and write and I realized that this, you know, these pages were becoming longer and longer. And uh, I went into this group therapy session and the exercise is to share your story, I guess, to kind of release it and to connect with other people and yeah, all sorts of power that comes from sharing your story, as I now know, but I didn't know at the time. And I think to bring awareness to it as well and break myself out of denial. But I shared my story and I was kind of expecting people to go, so what? what the fuck is this guy doing in rehab? Because that's the sort of belief I had. I don't I don't have a problem. I didn't have to be here, you know. Sometimes I thought it did, sometimes I thought it didn't. Sometimes I think I could do it better on my own, whatever. All these thoughts would always sabotage my life. But I shared my story and I kind of expected them to say, yeah, cool, whatever. But their jaws had hit the ground, you know, and it, it yeah. made me realise, oh, shit, I'm, I'm traumatised. It kind of hit me. I, I, there has been trauma. This is, this is significant uh, because these are you know, heroin, crack addicts, all sorts of things, difficult things that have happened to these people beyond imagine. But yet 
they were shocked by my story. So that was the first time I shared it. But then I got people after coming up and talking to me about it and, you know, relating and connecting. And I felt good about it. And there was a light that had been, you know, lifted, a load that had been lifted. Um, and it wasn't until later on that I started doing Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and sharing in those and Narcotics Anonymous meetings as well, sharing in those. And then later on in the online world, started sharing it online, then the newspaper. I think it's just a progressive journey of sharing it more and more and more and more to the point where you become a bit desensitized to it. But you also realize it's a good thing. You also realize people don't judge you for it as much as you think and they're inspired by it. And there's a lot of healing that comes with it, a lot of awareness. And I started to just get very, very comfortable sharing it to the point where the, the Netflix documentary was the, the the top layer that I could yeah. possibly get this this message across to people. And I've had hundreds and hundreds, if not now thousands of messages from people that have been like, wow, I've never seen someone share that, you know, in that deep, in that in that detail and be so vulnerable and so honest but i've but i've been through the exact same thing and what the crazy thing is i think a lot of people have been through similar things maybe not to the, to the extreme or maybe not all of them together but some of those things but they don't, don't talk about it they definitely don't write about it they definitely don't share videos about it um but it's there and i think the more we communicate and the more we talk about these things the more normalized they can become and the more growth and healing we can we can do through it so i'm I'm hoping that I can keep on continually empowering people through that story. Yeah. And it is such a powerful story. And you make a really interesting point there because up until that moment, most of those type of stories you read about, and I'm a, you know, a big reader of books and I love biographies, autobiographies, and often those type of stories, those that were willing to share graphically live inside words on pages. Mm. Whereas your documentary is one of the first, that I'd seen actually vividly and graphically through video as well mm. shows that story, which I think magnifies its power in many ways. And then here you are like was, sharing the story. Yeah. Cause I think it, it was, I was one of the first, not one of the first ever, obviously, but I was a very early adopter of social media. So I was someone that would take photos, like videos on like the grainy old cameras that you couldn't really, then you had next to no storage on there before the days of the cloud and everything. But then I managed to keep on keeping those. I don't know why I used to keep them, but I, I don't know, maybe something in the back of my mind thought I'd want to know this one day. Because I've always thought there's something in me. I always knew there was something in me. I uh, didn't know what it was. So I don't know, I, I kind of kept those, maybe thinking one day I'll be using this. I don't know. But then it came to the days of the cloud. Then I started to store it. But yeah, I wasn't an early adopter of social media. And I think not social media, but just capturing video content and pictures and social media and stuff like that uh, because of that attention seeking thing that I had I had this need of significance so I used to upload pictures of injuries just to get the sympathy and stuff like that and all the oh Lucy Lewis you're crazy and so I had all that kind of archive but yeah I guess I was kind of lucky that I was an early adopter and I, didn't, I wasn't ashamed of it to the point where I deleted it one day which I think a lot of people do as well to try and wipe the slate clean and it, yeah ended up being great that I had that journey from start to finish all mapped out there yeah, we can see it, you know, in such a beautiful mm. way. And, you know, before we move into that transitional period, because we're yeah. starting to get there now, this uh, element of psychopathy or the psychopath mm. life coach, yeah. was that a yeah. diagnosis? I know in the in the movie, there was the sort of celebrity psychologist yeah. sort of talking us through all of this. Was that an actual diagnosis you got at a younger age? Or mm. where does that live in the story? Yeah. So I was... I was starting, so I went to prison when I was 18 
And then after that, I kind of created this belief system that another way to fill that void was going to be through fighting. You know, it was another addiction. When I hit someone and I want to fight, I felt powerful, felt strong. Felt like, you know, I filled that void that I was been trying to fill my whole life with something. Um, so I became addicted to fighting, which is quite a rare one, but I really did. I'd look for it. You know, I'd want, I'd want that trouble. And I started getting into some really violent crimes. Um, I was, you know, I hit someone with a bottle, given a brain hemorrhage. I got done for like multiple GBHs, which is grievous bodily harm. And um, I was sent to a pre-sentence report of probation, which is a, an assessment where they evaluate your life circumstances and try and send um, the appropriate recommended sentence to the judge who's got a bit of background information on you. And I just didn't show any care or regard for anything that she was sharing with me. She said that, you know, she thought I was going to kill someone one day and she, she said she was going to recommend me for a, an indefinite public protection order, which was an IPP, which is the same uh, sentence that Charles Brunson got, which he's still in prison for 50 years later. Luckily, it's been abolished and I didn't get it, but she actually recommended me for that. Um, that's how dangerous she thought I was. It wasn't dangerous. Well, no, I was dangerous. Let's get, get it right. But I was no gangster. You know, I was just this teenage yeah. skinny little kid. But, you know, I was just very violent and it didn't match up. So she sent me for a psychiatric assessment and I, didn't, and I just thought that was part of the, the pre-sentence report, but it wasn't. It was due to the way that I was reacting. No empathy, no sympathy, no guilt, no remorse. Um, and he diagnosed me with that antisocial personality disorder and I googled it and it said psychopath. And that's the, that's the label they put on that diagnosis. Psychopath isn't actually a, a clinical disorder. It's the label that they put on people with antisocial personality disorders. And you can have a antisocial personality disorder and, and not necessarily be a psychopath um, because it's someone on the more extreme end of the spectrum. Um, but people do typically label it like that. So it's very stigmatized and it's got this very sensationalism sort of name attached to it. Um, people with antisocial personality disorders, you know, have the ability to be violent and to commit crimes and take risks and do all these crazy impulsive things. But some of them are actually also high functioning and you'd never know and they're, you know, in society and, you know, they're, they're, they're great people. They just don't really have much of an, an emotional response and they, they, they would be able to be violent if, you know, maybe, maybe they're in their military, maybe they're politicians, maybe they're CEOs of companies. They can make, they, they can make you know, high pressure decisions very easily without the influence of logic, uh, emotion, sorry, affecting that. But anyway, yeah, I was diagnosed from a young age um, and then... You know, then I was diagnosed with bipolar a couple of years later. And then I was also diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder in prison. So three diagnoses. And then Jeff Beattie from the documentary said that he'd want to do a test on me as well. Um, and to be a psychopath, you have to score 30 out of 40 on a checklist. Um, and funny enough, I scored exactly 30. Is that right? So I'm right on the fucking borderline. <laughs> but those 10 make all the difference right because those those 10 points yeah. are the ones where people want to cause harm to people and you know uh liars you know compulsive liars and get thrills out of you know i have no thought whatsoever about hurting anybody or you know i did it because it was this need that was unmet um and even if i have this kind of label it doesn't necessarily mean i am one it means i'm a pro you know i could be a product of my environment and my trauma has created this hardened conditioned shell that shows symptoms of psychopathy, you know, and there'll be many, there's many people with many opinions that I've received. Some people message me and they tell me that they're hundred percent guaranteed that I'm autistic. 
some people have told me that you are just a traumatized child that got sexually abused and just, just learned to cut off, shut off his emotions. And some people say, yeah, you are probably a bit of a psycho, but that's all right, as long as you're doing good in the world, you know? So, and <laughs> yeah. there are also people that say, you're just a fucking psycho that's going to take people's money and don't give a shit about anybody. So there's no real right or wrong answer to that because it's an opinion, really, and nobody really knows the answer, including myself, because <laughs> I, only, I only know me. It's difficult to compare me to anybody else. I can't compare my brain to yours. I don't know how you think compared to how I think. Um, I know that I'm different, but I don't know what that's due to. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a weird one, which is made, made good for a documentary, I guess. Oh, it does. And the name is just, wow, it, it stops you in your tracks. And I remember reading, I think it was John Bronson had a book called The, the Psychopath Test. And in oh, that yeah. book, he basically is saying many of the CEOs, many of our leaders... Yeah are have these are on that spectrum and they might be scoring yeah. similar scores because they have this ability to make decisions that other people can't make they mm. have the ability to be very firm in their actions because they're not as concerned about other people's emotions for example so it gives them almost in their business superpower and like you say these things can be channeled in one so, direction or the other they can be I mean, channeled to something that's dangerous or something that's productive i mean you yourself you're a coach and you'll know that nine times out of ten the person that's stopping themselves when they want to achieve something is themselves and they know exactly what they want to do but they don't do what they know and when you really break it down it's some form of emotion or limitation it's fear or self-doubt or lack of confidence or imposter syndrome or, you know and with psychopathy or antisocial personality disorder or someone that's low on the emotional spectrum whatever it is those kind of things are out of the way so you just see it for me i just see a strategic set of, set of steps and i've just got to keep them taking one step in front of the next and, it, and there's nothing holding me back. It just feels so, like, without being too arrogant about it, it feels so easy. It feels so effortless. It's just, there's 10 steps, and I take 10 steps. Other people, they're constantly getting pushed back by these emotions. And what's interesting about uh, the, the sort of books you mentioned, I read one as well, it's called The Good Psychopath's Guide to Success. And it's about this kind of, I think he was in the military or something, and he was, you know, great at what he did because he could, I don't know, say, you know, win wars or whatever. Um as you can see, I flipped the book a little bit. I don't give you into too much detail, but something I found really fascinating was they did a brain scan of his brain and um, they showed vivid sort of uh, violent pictures to people with a normal brain and people with a you know psychopath's brain. And normal people, obviously, they, oh my God, and it spikes. What the fuck have I just seen? And you'd expect, I mean, what would you expect from a psychopath's brain, just out of curiosity? Yeah, you'd think that it'd it flatline a little bit. They wouldn't get that emotional reaction. Yeah, so actually, interestingly, it didn't just flatline, dropped to become calmer. Wow. <laughs> because they actually thrive under pressure and under stress and under like chaos and violence. So that's maybe why some serial killers, they, they, they do it for a release. They do it for, mm. you know, it's because they can be serene in maybe in those scenarios, which is absolutely bizarre. But that's why some people in the military, if they have got psychopathy, they do very well because they're sitting there and they've got a sniper rifle in their hand. Uh, yeah. a rifle in the hand there's there's no nerves there's no shakiness and it's just a mission and it's just you know so yeah absolutely bizarre but um i'm not quite on that end but i've never had the brainwaves so maybe one day i'll do a full scan and see what comes up <laughs> and when this is the this is the really interesting thing about the documentary and about your story as it unfolds and you watch the first part of the documentary and, and, and again it's graphic as we described and you don't know where it's going to go. I sort of knew because I know of you, but I can imagine mm. people watching that are waiting. Is this going to descend into some like horrific yeah. crash and burn scenario where actually you're going to use that diagnosis and you're going to go out and start doing these horrible things. But of course it doesn't. 
like the, mm. the script is flipped beautifully and actually then evolves into this incredible sort of blossoming of your character, this transformation in the way that you're showing up in the world. And actually now you going out into the world through um, your brilliant coaching organization to really make a difference to people's lives, to, to show up and share and shine. And, and I must admit that there was a real sense of relief when the story started to go that way as someone that's in the mm. coaching space. And a friend of mine phoned me up and said, have you seen this? And I said, yeah, he said, that guy, I think that guy's a genius. I think he's got it. And he was sort of telling me about how it unfolded for him that now you're spinning this story into so many different ways that are, are reaching people in different ways that maybe, as you said, have got that story that's a bit hidden in their life, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's the classic shadow work that people want to sweep under the carpet and wish others don't know. And now you're shining this new light and owning that label in such a big way, which you know I can't quite work it out. I can't quite work out whether it's absolute genius and it's bringing so many people into your world or it's going to it's confuse crazy. a lot of people. And I think that's yeah. probably why you're getting that mixed response, isn't it? Of people going, yeah. what? And well, I you... wanted to... Go on, carry on. Go on uh, yeah, one one bit to that and, and answer. Are you going to keep that that sort of definition of you or is it a temporary thing for, for what you're doing now? Well, I'll be honest. I've put the psychopath life coach in my Instagram bio simply because I want people to be able to find me when they're searching for me. I, it's not that I identify with that label. I don't even identify with being a psychopath. I don't. It's not necessarily that I don't think I am one. I truly don't know if I am or not. Like I said, I can't. I'm not a psychiatrist, and I I don't know anyone else's brain. I know I'm different. I know I have traits. I know I score in that spectrum. I'm somewhere along there, um, but I think a lot of us are. And I, you know, I. I'm not going to let I let that define me, and that's not who I am, you know. Um, but the the documentary, I, I kind of wanted it to be open because I wanted to spark that conversation. You know, neurodivergence is is a is a big thing now. You know, diversity in itself is is obviously huge. Um, but eighty percent of the prison population have personality disorders, for example. But they but they don't know it, and you know they they don't understand themselves, and no one's speaking out for them, and they are this marginalized part of society that kind of keep on repeating the same behaviors just simply because they're trying to compare themselves to people without these personality disorders potentially, which are different people with different genetic makeups, which function entirely differently. So you compare an apples and oranges and that's not going to help. So I think there's so many conversations that can come out of this. Um, and I, I want people to have that discussion. And if I said one way or the other, which I can't do anyway, to be honest, then it wouldn't spark that conversation. So I want people to be calling up people and going, you know, you know, which way is it? What do you think? Yeah. You know, because that's what's going to get the conversation flowing around it and bringing some awareness to it. Because, you know, psychopaths, which is the, you know, right at the end of the spectrum, still make up 1% of the population. Think about how big of, 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 of yeah. that amount of people that actually is. And, and some of them thriving, but I should imagine a lot of them are struggling and uh, don't get the same help as other people with mental health. Uh, disorders because of the stigma uh, attached to it so um maybe we'll get some more psychopaths coming out of the closet <laughs> yeah well even if it again it just opens up the communication around neurodiversity doesn't it whether that be yeah. adhd or it but you know there's yeah. there's spectrums on top of spectrums isn't there but i think we're all so beautifully different i think people that are open and honest yeah. to share these things can only be a good thing and then so tell us a little bit about how it unfolds you've gone through all this diagnosis you've had this you know i guess childhood into your teens into your early 20s you start sharing your story you're sharing it more and more and more and then you step into this new arena how did that unfold that the coaching mm. side of what you do so it was through 
AA and NA meetings, Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. I did those and I saw all these transformative experiences for people. And I was blown away how simple it really was just to give someone a hug when you walk into a room and share a little bit about what's going on for you and, you know, connect and transform. So I thought, why can't this be available for people that are not drug addicts and alcoholics? Um, so that was where the, my first sort of idea for community um, was born. Um, but I tried to get people interested and they weren't interested. They didn't really have much clout behind me at that point. I was riding a push bike in Portsmouth and a not long amount of prison. And when I'm saying, hey, do you want to change your life? They're, they're saying, well, <laughs> not really from you. Um, so I, I met up with some people in Costa Coffee for free. So I reached out to them on, online, the ones that were sort of, you know, the typical moaning, desperate, upset, you know, moaning about everything. Nothing wrong with those people, but not not the people that were like really in pain, but the people that were kind of just a little bit miserable. I thought, let's see yeah. if I can ha- help you. And I sat down with these people in Costa Coffee. I even bought the coffee and I just helped them. And I just blurted out everything that I'd heard in rehab and all the meetings and the psychotherapy and everything that I'd learned. And not just my own experiences, but everyone else's through these rehab journeys. You know, the people that come in and out of uh, rehab, sorry, for six months and and the meetings is a big turntable of triggers, traumas, relapses, denials, breakthroughs. And I just absorbed it all. And I think created, you know, the world's best life coach training in my mind. So I was just spurting out these things to these people. I wasn't at that point of using tools and techniques and models and frameworks and asking the right questions. I was at the point of listening and then giving bits of advice. And I was getting great results and helping these people. And that's what kind of sparked the idea of, oh, maybe I could become a life coach after a bit of Googling. Built the life coaching business, made made some money. Thought, wow, this is brilliant. Continued to level up and grow, uh, invest in myself. And then went back to the idea of building the community. The community grew fast. Then it was just I was inclined uh, to always use social media. Like I said, I was an early adopter of social media and technology. My dad was actually an IT manager, bought me a computer when I was about four years old. All it had on it was paint. But, you know, I was, so I've, I've always been technologically inclined, but never used that part of me. Um, so all the skills kind of luckily married up. <laughs> you know, I was had this transformative experience that was kind of unique. And then I had this just uh, natural ability to use social media and the internet and marketing. And so, so I started creating courses and funnels and ads and all that sort of stuff that we all know about. Uh, we not all know about, but people in entrepreneurship know about. And uh, started changing hundreds and then thousands of lives. Crazy. <laughs> as simple as that. And obviously yeah. it takes a ton of energy, a ton of focus and oh, character and yeah. personality, which I mean, years, we, yeah. years of work as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, behind every overnight success is 10 years of hard work. Right. And I, well, I think I'm on eight years at the minute. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're a great example of that. And suddenly lots of people will be watching Netflix and going, who is that guy? And they're connecting go, wow, it looks like it happened overnight. But as you yeah. say, you've been doing the graft and the learning behind it, building community, getting it wrong, getting it yeah. right. And before we sort of get a bit deeper into that, Obviously, through this period, you're still alcohol-free and drink and drug-free. That's your how you live your life. How do you feel that that's also impacted what you do and how you show up and, and shine through your work? Yeah. Well, that was the first thing I did when I was in prison, and I made the decision that I wanted to change. Um, I, I I looked at what was going to be the biggest thing that was going to stop me from changing, and it was the drink and the drugs. The moment I put a drink in me, I, I can't blame it all on the drink and drugs because I think I was an angry man and I think I had issues. 
But I think as soon as that alcohol went in me and that addictive sort of obsessive compulsive part of me came in, I would black out. All my trauma and anger would release. I had no inhibitions and I would just be on autopilot and it was someone else that would take over. So I knew that if I, if I touched a drink or drug, it's game over. So the first bit of personal development I ever did was read the, the blue book, Phil's book, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous book. And I read that book and I was like, oh my God, it's like reading a book about my brain, you know, about mm. this addictive personality. Um, and I just related to it so much. And that was the first kind of connection I had with, oh, I'm not alone with this. You know, I'm not different entirely. I'm, there's a subsection of different people here. And um, I then did this six-week rehabilitation of addictive prisoners trust program in prison, um, which was amazing. Learned loads. It was my first sort of introduction to personal development that where I actually noticed it work and I thought wow this stuff works <laughs> I can't believe it I thought it was slowly rubbish um and then they came in uh, someone from the rehab came in and, and spoke about how there's an option to go to rehab after you finish prison and I was thinking well I've already you know served my time in jail I don't know if I want to be going and doing more time in, in rehab but I was doing this maths and English test inside jail and I punched a wall. Bizarre thing to do. Turns out I was scared of proving my dad right and him thinking I was stupid and a buffoon. Anyway, I went to the hospital because I don't actually have hospitals inside prison a lot of the time. And they took me in a taxi with prison officers and they drove right past where I went, where I, where I lived. And as I drove past where I lived, I just felt everything come back. It was like I'd just left yesterday and I just knew I was going to just go straight to my old pals, straight to, into that pub and do the same thing over, over again. And I knew I need to get that rehab program. And it was torture. <laughs> they broke me down. They built me back up. I, I thought they were going to teach me how to not drink and not take drugs, but it was far more than that. It was learning about myself. It was working out why I felt the need to numb my, myself through drinking drugs and what I was escaping from and uncover all this trauma and, unpack all this stuff from my subconscious so that I could feel it and express it and release it and I just noticed my life just dramatically suddenly miraculously change so I continued with it and I just keep on taking you know one day at a time and got about six years sober I did actually have yeah it was a relapse um in the sense where I did the whole oh I'll see if I can I think I'm okay now <laughs> give it a go that old chest yeah which worked all right for a little bit and then got worse and then i actually had a seizure because uh, i was i had epileptic seizures before i didn't put that in the documentary but i was having epileptic seizures due to the alcohol and um i had a seizure and actually had a cardiac arrest and my 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 fiance at the time actually had to resuscitate me so it was like a yeah a big wake-up call and then what even was it oh, i had a tattoo done and i had got an infection at the same time they prescribed me with um uh, what do we call them? Like benzos, like uh, drugs. Benzo diet. Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was so I just relapsed from drinking, and they give me these benzos, and it just it took. I could feel it taking over me. Like I wanted to take like ten of these tablets. Yeah. I wanted to just, I was like, fuck. I'm slipping, you know. So I just you know dropped it all back and went sober again. I think there was one more time where I did it again. I relapsed again. Again, it was it was never a fuck it moment. It was never something yeah. bad happening. They say you've got to look out for your highs just as much as your lows. Um, and I've tried to. I'll be honest because I don't like to, to to lie about it. 
I have tried to flirt with it a few times to see, you know, am I different now? Can I do it just red wine? You know, can I have it just with a meal? And the truth of the matter is I can't. And, I, and I've tried and I really can't. Um, so I got six years sober, I had a couple of blips and now I'm back to completely sober. And it's, it's where my life is best and I grow the fastest in this state. So I, I would like, I guess, to have that social drink, but the deal, what I, what I get from not having it is far, far greater. You know, I'm married, I've got a baby, these things I wouldn't have if I was in active addiction and alcoholism like I, like I was before. Yeah. And I think the truth is as well, you wouldn't have achieved many of the things that you've gone on to achieve. And I think it's also, it's great that you're open and honest about that. Cause I think that's the story of most people, isn't it? I think there is a bit of experimentation or there are moments when it doesn't work out. And I think it's being courageous enough to own those moments as an experiment or something that we try. And then there's learning in there, isn't there? I think as long as you can, you know, learn from and grow stronger through the process, I think it's when we build up too much shame around an event such as like that and then we disappear or we fall off the wagon yeah. proverbially because it's that sense of i've got to sweep it under the carpet i'm embarrassed now whereas i think owning yeah. it then you can bounce back something to learn from it and obviously that's yeah. what you've got in your story and i think also being on the coaching adventure like your mind is trained so differently isn't it because you're constantly teaching other people coaching other people about these things which ultimately i think that's been the biggest win for me really over the last 10 years is going alcohol free and then training as a coach because i think the combination of those two things you just your mind is so much quicker to see those things mm -hmm. when there's an error as so you can bounce back that bit quicker and get out there and do your thing in such a big way and you mentioned there about your now married and mm -hmm. your dad yeah how's that going for you oh he's only three months old little ocean his name is yeah. ocean's got the unique name ocean enrique taylor um yeah it's uh it's been an interesting one, to be honest. I'm still adjusting to it. Um, whether or not it's this diagnosis or it's this hard show I've got or whatever it is, it's. Um, I think it's going to be a gradual bonding experience. Um, I was so pleased that I cried when he when he when he, when he was born, though, because I was worried that I wasn't going to. Because I thought if I don't cry when he's born, then I am a psycho. <laughs> and, and as soon as he was born, I just burst out, and it was just automatic. <laughs> God. Um, but my my wife seems to be um, the only way I could say it, and not in a negative way, is um, lovingly obsessed with him. But that's, I don't. That's I'm not quite the same in that respect. I love him; he's amazing. But I could also put him down for a bit. <laughs> she can't. So um, anyway, it's a, it's a new experience. I'm learning to bond and, and connect with another human being, just like any others, which has been difficult for me in my life. Um, but he's my life mission, you know, in, in terms of to create this bond and to, yeah. to break this generational kind of yeah. emotional trauma that, you know, I've experienced. You know, my mum didn't, my mum came from a background of not having that, that affection. Um, my dad uh, told me he didn't like his family and, family are just people told me that so i'm the one that's going to break that my wife is very loving she's american she's like loves christmas and loves disney and she's yeah. like constantly positive and smiling so yeah i'd be lying if i was if i was saying like oh the moment he was born it was like uh my my floodgates opened and although i did cry i think it's going to be slower for me um the most but I'm looking forward to a lifelong adventure of constantly, you know, becoming his dad and more and more.
Yeah, and, and there's so many beautiful things in there. Like you say, you become that circuit breaker, don't you? And that generational, whether it's yeah. in your relationship with alcohol, for example, you demonstrate it's not a genetic thing and you can do something different. And in your relationship with your son, you then get a chance to break that circuit mm. as well. And don't be too hard on yourself. I don't think I cried when my daughter was born, although I did run out into the waiting room because my wife's mum had flown over from Ireland. The labour was so long and her sister. And I was convinced you know, I'm one of three boys, footballer. I was so convinced I was having a boy. I remember wow. running out as as our beautiful little girl was born. And, and I said to the entire waiting room, my boy's a girl. <laughs> that was my big announcement to everyone. And I wow. think also okay. like the, the mums, if that's your setup, spend a lot more time with those babies in those early days, you know, so it does take the dad especially when they're tiny like that, it, it takes you a little while to, to sort yeah. of warm up into it. So treat your, treat yourself kindly. But okay. Also, that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like I said, I don't know. I, I only know how my brain works. Yeah. Sometimes I worry it's not, it's not wired up properly. So yeah, I, I don't know how other people would react in this scenario. So I'm thinking, is this normal? Is this not normal? You know, I do sometimes question that, but um, it's good to hear. You no, sounded, really? I, I sounded more, more empath empathic than, than you in that scenario. Maybe I you're know. more of a psycho <laughs> than me. I might need to go and do this test in a minute. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we never know. But I tell you what, you're doing a blooming good job as it is. So let's let's continue the the story. Okay. So you get into this life coaching yourself. You then set yeah. up this incredible organisation. Is it Coaching Masters? I'm going to check. I've got that the right. Coaching Masters, yeah. The Coaching Masters, yeah, which then starts to train mm -hmm. coaches, which I love because it's something that I'm really passionate about myself and. I remember a bit in the documentary where there's the the sort of counter argument. There's that one particular lady yeah. that's saying it's a bit cultish, which is a really flippant thing, I think, to say about any organization. You could look at yeah. any organization and you could throw those type of flippant comments around, yeah. you know, most of which there's there's no grounding. There's no truth in that. There's just a group of people coming together and they're getting great results. And I think the counter argument was that, you know, they're marketing to vulnerable people. Uh, and at times when we've been involved in the alcohol-free space, we got a bit of that as well, you know, mm. in the early days of one, you know, beer. Well, they're the people that need help the most. Exactly. So I was watching that going, yeah, but they're missing the point because if yeah. there's lots of things in the world that take advantage of people, there's scammers that will, you know, scam thousands of pounds out of investors on an investment that just doesn't even exist. But when you look at something like coach training or training as a coach, that investment, in my opinion, will be one of the greatest investments you ever make. It's irrelevant yeah. whether you actually ever go and coach anyone because yeah. the self-development that anyone and everyone will get from that is so powerful. It's worth every penny. So if someone is going through something that's traumatic or they're overcoming a big life change and they come to, to, to yourself and they go on a coaching learning adventure, yeah. that for many people will be the greatest thing that they ever invest in in their 100%. life so i see the absolute you know opposite side of that so i was in ingredients with you. you all the time and, and i'm sure you see something similar of course yeah i mean I, I find it bizarre when people say that because i was once that vulnerable person and imagine if someone denied me that help and said i'm sorry you're too vulnerable we, we don't want to help you you know that's that's even more um harsh you know uh these people need help the most and just because you've been traumatized or you've had something significant happen in your life doesn't even mean you're vulnerable it could actually mean you're stronger than most and that's you know i talk a lot about turning adversity into an asset and you'll find that a lot of people that become a coach 
or get into that space is because they're genuinely passionate about it because they've had a personal experience with it and they've been through it and they've grown from it. And it's like, you know, without being too cliche, it's a bit like, you know, grown muscle, isn't it? You know, you have to burn that muscle down and then it rebuilds back stronger. And I think a lot of people that have been through these difficult times, they get a lot of resilience. They, 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 they become, they have a lot of grit about them and they're able to handle situations that other people can't because their threshold of difficult times is much more different is a, is a lot more different sorry than your average person so yes they are they have potentially had things happen to them and the reason why they come to us is because that's my story my business partner has a similar one of different adversities his dad committed suicide he uh, he was in the london terror attacks you know so between us we've had you know all these traumas and all these ex- experiences but we're sending a message that says no matter what that doesn't matter. You can still do whatever you want with your life. And of course, what type of people is that going to attract? The people that resonate and connect with with that story. So there'll always be that. And um, the fact that, you know, just a, you know, just an account of the exact argument she gave, which was um, there's an algorithm set to target people that are bereaved. If you know, if you yourself have ever have run any ads, for example, you'll know that you can't even write certain words in ads or even, you know, do people's job professions or very stringent very strict you cannot target people that are vulnerable you cannot even target people with specific categories at all so it's just strange how people have this um whether we want to drag people down you know um there's 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 very different reasons for it either they're hurt themselves they're jealous there's a bit of limelight that they want to steal um maybe they're so warped in their perspective that they genuinely believe it which sometimes i do think is true um there's a lot of people out there that think i'm a scammer there's probably people that think you're a scammer it's bizarre isn't it when you're going well i'm just trying to help people uh, but yet they still think it's some sort of pyramid scheme or something i'm like it's not a pyramid scheme you know <laughs> I, it's literally not a pyramid scheme um and even if it was a pyramid scheme some of those aren't even scams there's quite a lot of those out there you know that would be probably one of yeah. the best types of scams you could get involved with um so yeah it's, it's crazy but um for every bit of hate there's so much good you know for every a little bit of darkness there's so much light so i'll always i'll always embrace it and take it in my stride even though it can throw it up a little bit sometimes because i just see all those thousands of messages and all all the people's lives have changed and i think you know what if i have to put up with a bit of shit because of it then well worth it yeah and you're well able and i think exactly that then you shine your light it inspires other people and as you share your message, of course, as you said, you're going to interest and attract people with a similar story. That's how like great marketing works and how you actually get out and make a difference to so many people's lives. So maybe as we sort of drift towards, yeah, maybe tell us about some of the success stories of the people that have come to train with you now that are turning their life around. And then maybe yeah. tell us like where the business is going, which is exciting as yeah. well. I mean, you're, you're really growing this wonderful empire now. Yeah, so the only reason we did the the coaching training is because people were asking for it, and we didn't really expect it to be what it was. But we just threw our heart, life, and soul, and brain, and every everything we'd ever learnt into it, as well as the tools and techniques. And people did it for twelve weeks. It was live on Zoom. That's all it was. It was no, we had no website. We had no nothing. It was just a Zoom live. And by the end of it, people were just blown away that they 
and they change their lives. They change the way they think, their their perspective over the way that they act, their behavior is different, their their goals were different, the way they behaved with their family were different. All these things were just completely different and they were blown away. And they, they said, I wasn't expecting that. I came here to learn some tools to be able to like charge 60 quid an hour or hundred quid an hour as a coach. I didn't know that I was going to change my life in 12 weeks. And I know that sounds from change your life in 12 weeks BS, but uh, you know, if you get the right information at the right time and you get one of those breakthroughs, sometimes it can happen in a second, let alone 12 weeks. And it compounds over that time. So we change those people's lives. And yeah, I think our coaching accreditation is quite unique in a sense where it is a coach training, but it's, it's also transformative personally. And we say, become your first client, you know, apply all these tools and techniques to yourself um practice in our you know workshops and be coached coach other people and immerse yourself in it and by the end of it not only will your life will change but you'll also have a skill set that you can share with other people so that's kind of how we got into it and we built virtual reality and a co-working space out in bali because i was in bali for three years and i just there were so many coaches out there just because it's full of breathwork and tantra and plant ceremonies, plant medicine ceremonies, and just crazy things in the jungle that you wouldn't believe. I don't know if you've ever been to Bali, but if you haven't, yeah. get yourself over there because it's a whole different world. And then um, there was just so many coaches out there. So I built a, a co-working and a, and a coach training center. So, and then it turned into a restaurant and we got a second floor and, a, and, and now it has everything from, you know, cocktails and breakfast, lunch and dinner and, networking of nights and training you know from different digital nomads or coaches and things delivering workshops and things that's just a, a small well, it's not a small part but that's just a sort of piece of the puzzle we're sort of building out this ecosystem uh, for coaches and actually now looking to step outside of coaching into more sort of mainstream education i personally believe the education system is broken it's built off the industrial revolution designed to create workers i don't want to get too sort of conspiracy theorists on it but I don't think we're taught the right things to thrive. I definitely wasn't, you know, I don't think the photosynthesis and algebra is teaching anybody anything about life. And it's, you know, the world has evolved so fast that the education system that was created is no longer fit for the modern world. And I think they're trying to make changes, but they're so marginal, they're just irrelevant. So there's some disruption that's needed. So I'm moving in a direction now of creating a new platform and a new education curriculum. Uh, who knows where that will go in the future? Um, I'd love to create my own college, my own university, maybe if I can get that stamp of approval from the, the people that probably won't want me to have it. But uh, in the meantime, I'll definitely be delivering more mainstream content for both adults and children, because I believe that there needs to be this co-facilitation. And I think it's a niche in the market. I don't think that you can teach an adult something. Um, you can teach an adult something, but if they don't know how to effectively communicate to a child, it's not going to be beneficial. You can teach, teach a child something, but if it's not enforced at home, then it's not going to be, you know, habitualized. Habitualized, I think that's the um, It's not going to be tended to habit. So there needs to be this sort of co-learning platform. So we're we're providing, a, uh, we're going to be creating an alternative education platform. So that's the next step. And also I mentioned I want to be a Hollywood actor, so I'm dip, dipping my toes in the water in that as well for a bit of fun. Yeah, I was going to ask you what next, but yeah, we've got there. And I remember that in, in the, the movie, that was just, well, actually, no, I won't give, give the line away for those. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it, it's, because it is, it's, it's, it will really get you thinking. And, and you know, I've absolutely loved this conversation because it's been so nice to get to know you and meet you in person. I can feel that, that sort of warmth and that energy coming through and, and the excitement for everything you're doing, which again, runs very contrary to the headline of 
the psychopath mm-hmm. life coach, which again, I think is creating that juxtaposition that's going to bring a lot of people in your, into your world because they're going to be interested to see yeah. where it goes. And I think hopefully they're going to go on a similar journey to me and realize out the other side, actually, this lad is just rocking up, trying to make a difference. He's genuinely giving people a chance to change their lives, changing lives. And it's getting bigger, isn't it? You're leveraging your superpower, if you want to look at it that way, to just do good things in the world, whether that be around the coaching organization, which is giving you this platform to potentially go into mainstream education and hopefully sprinkle in a little bit of Hollywood. Yeah. (laughs) And you're only warming up. That's the exciting bit. So what is, what is sort of beyond that? Or is that as far as we've we've got at the moment? Um, That's as far as we've got at the moment. I mean, the, the, the next generation education platform, which is the goal is, is going to be a big one. You know, know, if if that works uh, the way that I want it to, not only could that be a billion dollar idea, but it could completely disrupt education across the world. So it's quite a large, ambitious target, um, but it's possible. So if I could just pull that one off, I think I'd be uh, pretty happy. And I think that's going to take me a bit of time. So <laughs> not quite sure what will happen after that. Maybe grandkids after that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can settle down at that stage. You can have a little rest, but you'll never rest, right? Because that's you've got that energy that, that you're always going to be on to the next thing and using yeah. and channeling, as I say, that energy in a really positive way. Um, Lewis, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend some time with you today. Just in case people don't know, where can they find out more about what you do and connect and all those good things? Yeah, so Lewis Raymond Taylor is my name and you can find me everywhere with that name. Luckily, I'm the only one in the world, so I pop up everywhere. Uh, Instagram, I'm most active. Come and drop me a follow and say, hey, I like to connect with people. The business is thecoachingmasters.com. Um, and of course, the documentary, which is on Netflix, is The Psychopath Life Coach. So if you want to really learn that story and see all the graphic images and, and a lot of the story, which we didn't share today, to be honest, um, go and check that out and, and see the full full cut and, tell, and let me know what you think. Let me know if you Ooh. think I'm a psycho or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And I, my mind's definitely made up there anyway, in a good way. I, I'll just okay. uh, I'm sure everyone's going to go and check that out and get in contact with you, Lewis. You are a top man. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much for having me. We're making a movie just like Lewis did. And I want your support. If you enjoy this podcast, if you'd like to contribute in any way, we have a GoFundMe page that's going to help kickstart the alcohol-free documentary, which aims to be like a Game Changers. What Game Changers did for the plant-based movement We hope this documentary is going to do for the alcohol-free movement and accelerate it. Imagine you can be a part of it and your contributions matter. They make a difference. And anyone that contributes will get a download of the stream before the movie goes live, wherever it goes live. And anyone that donates over £100, you'll get a special mention at the end of the film, your name up in lights. Imagine that. It's got to be worth it for that alone. Plus, you'll get lots of updates from me behind the scenes any events that I'm holding, where the cameras might be, you'll get first notification about those. And you might get a chance to be part of something that fundamentally changes the world a little bit. How often do you get a chance for that? So if you enjoy anything I do, if you enjoy this podcast, I'd be truly grateful if you could offer any donation you can to kickstart this movie on my GoFundMe page. There's a link in the show notes below. I will check every single one of them. I will reply to every single one of them and thank every single one of you. So please do contribute if you can, and I will see you back on this podcast very soon. Let's do this.